He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. And really, I've gotten very good at, at delegating. Up until recently, I would still manage the revenue for the company. It's such an incredibly important role in the company. So it's been part of my day-to-day -day doing a lot of it is vision. Which market are we going to go into? What type of product? What hires do we have to make? Culture, a lot of networking, fundraising. So really having these high impact actions, it took me a little bit of time to say, but owner relations shouldn't really be where I'm spending my time, or I shouldn't be checking the maintenance channel on, on, on Slack. Brandy's probably laughing right now and really delegating that and trusting the team that they're going to do a better job than I will. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. In hotels and vacation rentals, the top complaints or issues are noise, garbage, and parking. I may not be able to solve all of your parking and garbage problems, but I could definitely help with your noise problems. And that actually might just help your garbage and parking problems too. So NoiseAware is the only 100% privacy safe noise monitoring solution that property managers and owners can use in order to ensure they avoid parties and other issues happening at their property. You won't get notified when a plate breaks, but if you have a little quiet get together that kind of gets out of hand like this, then NoiseAware will give you the peace of mind to ensure that you and your property and of course your profits are protected. So use my code SLICKTALK20 to get 20% off of all noise monitoring devices and focus on the other important things that help you run your business. Now, thank you for checking out Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Get back to the episode. And don't forget to check out Noise Aware while you're listening. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Andreas, I saw you dancing in the background, my man. Uh, Good to have you on the show. This has been an episode in the making for quite some time. I remember we met uh, right in the beginning of COVID, like right when the, excuse my language, the shit storm uh, started happening. And yeah, like we just never got to actually record and then getting to meet you on uh, host when we were with Willa from Altito, uh, Michael Golden, and yeah, and then meeting Brandy at VRMA, and here we are. So I'm so excited to have you on the show, Andreas. How are you today? Good. Pleasure pleasure to be here. I think when we had our first intro call, you were actually being deployed uh, yeah. with the National Guard. So yeah, it was like, oh, great. I have to go report with all my gear and go to a, go to a pandemic, but I'm supposed to be recording a podcast. So uh, yeah. Nope. And that is a high energy intro. I, I like it. It's not sleepy at all. 
Yeah, we're trying to change up the space, you know, get that, get that, uh, get that blood flowing. Um, it's a little long for a podcast intro, but we try to make sure that we set the tone for new listeners that they know what they're getting into. Sure. Uh, so with great guests like you, let's kick it off. I'm super excited um, for the audience listening. Andreas King Giovannis, with such a cool name, uh, is the founder of Sextant Stays. So let's jump into where your story and journey began. I remember Brittany, or not Brittany, Brandy, sorry, uh, gave me an intro into kind of how she got introduced into the company um, and a little bit of your story. But let's hear it from you. Where did this whole idea begin um, and where is your background normally before getting into this entrepreneurship in the vacation rental space? Sure. So I started out probably the same way 99% of your listeners did, which was with one property. I graduated University of Miami, uh, saved throughout college, got a great academic scholarship and put a down payment on the very first Sexton property in 2013. And you could pretty much buy anything in South Florida in 2013 and uh, and make money on it. So great, uh, great timing. And I lived in it with with friends who were paying me rent uh, to help pay down the mortgage for really the first two years. And then one weekend I decided, you know, let me put this on Airbnb uh, and one weekend rental on Airbnb was more than the entire monthly rent. So a little light bulb, light bulb went off and I decided this would be uh, an opportunity worth, uh, worth pursuing. What were you doing as a career prior to this? Like what was your day-to-day job? So I've always been around real estate. I actually worked at uh, a real estate startup called Early Shares, which was uh, crowd, crowdfunded real estate. It was a little bit ahead, ahead of its time. I don't even think they're, they're still around today, mm-hmm. but uh, I've always been involved in, in real estate and fascinated by it. What, what, what's that draw for you? Was there anything as a kid that you, were you traveling a lot where you're just fascinated by the building, the architecture, the design? What's, what's the draw for you? Yeah, great question. All of it. I've I've always loved hospitality and and real estate. I've just traveled so much growing up, getting to meet different people from different countries with really diverse backgrounds and being able to turn that into a business was was pretty easy path for, for me to take. For sure. And so with that first weekly or weekend rental that you had on Airbnb for your, your home, uh, I, I guess, did you start out kind of like every other vacation rental company where it's like pen and paper, you're just putting ideas together. What was your first initial step going into creating this brand? Because I think this is the one for any listener that's not watching us live. Um, you should be aware that you guys have built a solid brand. Like you guys aren't just, you know, I've met so many operators at VRMA. If they're listening to this right now, that they're probably going to hate me for it. But um, is that they would tell me they have like 150 units, 250 units, whatever unit count they would have. But I've never heard of their brand. They never had a presence online uh, the way I see you guys really have. So kind of walk me through that initial beginning uh, when you guys started creating it. Sure. So I did something pretty savvy, which was I listed the property in December, which is the high season, beginning of high season in Miami. And I set a three week minimum because I actually didn't have enough money to furnish the entire property. And I didn't want to have to save up for six months. I just figured, all right, I've got enough advance notice. Let me do a very large reservation 
for uh, for the first booking, and then I'll get the money and I'll go out and furnish the property and make it look uh, look really nice. So it actually used the photos from the previous owner, and uh, sure enough, I got this massive twenty thousand dollar booking. And uh, the second step was to persuade the guests to wire me the money instead of paying me uh, via credit card because I wouldn't get the money uh, far enough in advance to to furnish it. So I had about a week um, and I did that successfully, got them to to wire me the money without having any brand or any online presence. And I spent the next week at Ikea and Target and West Elm and Home Depot. I was sleeping on the floor, waking up at sunrise, doing everything myself up until the very last minute at check-in when Comcast finally started, started to work. And uh, then just continued bootstrapped for the next three years, reinvested every single penny I had into the company. And originally, I wanted to buy and own the real estate. So I ended up buying a second property um, and then realized, you know, it's a little bit too capital intensive. This will be much quicker to scale if I do it under a master lease model. And so that's that's the origin. And it's kind of still the the mindset of our company is you know, understand the value of a dollar, humility with confidence. Those are just a couple of the core values that 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 we've had. And it's really changed the mindset of the company, how we make decisions, our vision. Uh, it's all based around sustainability uh, and having something that's that's scalable. So did you learn about the, the, the master lease model from someone else? Or is that just something that was when you were trying to scale you saw that others were were doing. I, I'm just kind of curious because that because yeah. being in the luxury market, you definitely have higher return on your profit. Um, unlike single family homes that are in urban or you know smaller destination areas um, that you know maybe three or four bedrooms, nothing really fancy. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious on your like your growth pattern with that because that's a pretty pretty big jump. Yeah, we master lease in 2015, 2016 was really just in its infancy. And we definitely weren't the first people to come up with it, but we had come up with it on on our own and our master lease looked slightly different than 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 others. Uh, We didn't do our first traditional revenue share deal until maybe 2018 or 2019. So for us, master lease had always been the most attractive option and and the quickest and easiest to scale as long as it was done responsibly. For sure. And I love that you said that done responsibly because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of operators out there that don't understand that term yet, but um, okay. So you got me, you got me uh, intrigued on a vision. So you're talking about uh, these core values and let's jump into that because I'm curious, did you guys start out the gate with having some of these or was there some learning lessons behind the implementation of being like, hey, this is our core values, this is what we stand for, this is what we're going to continue to strive and grow to? Um, or was it just a natural thing for you to decide out the gate as a founder that you're going to go this route? Sure. So I think when you're such a small company, you don't really think about culture and core values. I mean, you barely have SOPs. You're you're yeah. more worried about the the AC repair that has to be done or the chargeback that just happened. Uh, so we didn't really um, we really didn't build out the core values or at least put them in writing and and kind of hire fire and promote by by our core values until uh, really 2019. Mm-hmm. 
And I have to credit Jordan Allen, uh, the founder of Stay Alfred for this. Um, we added him to, uh, to our advisory board. Um, we grew really close during, uh, during, during COVID. We ended up taking a lot of their properties. So just, just learned so much about them. And one day I texted Jordan. I said, how did you do this in 35 cities? I'm in two markets and I just don't understand how I'm going to scale this. Uh, into into a global brand. And he said, you have to read the book Traction, uh, which is by Gino Wickman. Yes. And uh, if you are kind of in that 20 to 100 unit or really any any size over 20 units, this is a great way to run your company. And part of, part of uh, EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, uh, is about having your your core values and and really letting that guide the company. So if if there is one thing that every person listening uh, to this should do is is read the book Traction, particularly if you're scaling your business and you want to figure out a way to do it sustainably and keeping your mental health in check and and scaling uh, in in a way that isn't as stressful. Uh, EOS has been one of the largest game changers in, in our company. No, I love that. I love that you mentioned traction because we had uh, Jim Sheehan, one of the co-editors of that book on the podcast. And mm. when he told me about that book, cause I was in that beginning stage show. I was kind of like, how am I going to grow this? Like, I don't know how to get outside of me doing all the work. And right. he was like, you need to read this book. And not because I co-edited it, um, but because it's actually something that works. And I'm glad you said that because I, I want to know as a, like from your starting point, because you, you're sleeping on the floor, you're you're hustling, <laughs> hustling, doing all this stuff, to now you're in two markets. You you're in New Orleans, um, and then you're in Miami. So tell South me, South Florida, yeah, yeah, South Florida. Um, what does your day to day look like what, as a founder? Like where where do you where do you start your day and how you end your day? Sure. So two different answers. There's kind of Andreas before having a kid and there's Andreas today with, with my six week old. So let's, let's go with okay. Andreas, uh, pre pre kid. Um, I love to start my day off, off early. Uh, I wake up at, at four 57 in the morning. And the reason why it's four 57 and, and not five in the morning is because I actually start my day off with this little, uh, group chat. I've got uh, two friends. One of them um, is in construction. Another one is uh, in investment banking. So uh, kind of runs runs the gambit a little bit, but all of us have to get up early. And it's it's almost, it got to the point where it's competitive, where someone would uh, would send a text at five in the morning and then I would uh, I would get up at 4.59 and then someone got up at 4.58 and then 4.57 just kind of stuck with me. Uh, and the uh, the rule is you have to send a picture of your feet so you actually know that you're out of bed. So if anybody ever goes through this group chat, they're going to be like, what is going on here? Uh, so again, just starting starting the day uh, very early, having two other people there to, to kind of compete with, but also hold me accountable. Um, and then I like to go on on a walk. That's the first thing I do. Get my iced coffee, go for a walk, listen to music, listen to podcasts. Uh, and I just start writing down ideas that that come to me. They could be the most random ideas about um, I don't know how should a trash can look like with a trash liner uh, to all the way to you know why don't we expand into this vertical that that no one else is 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 looking at. Um, 
And then I will try to limit how many meetings I have. I generally don't like to do two or three meetings. You get Zoom fatigue. Um, it also keeps you a little bit uh, in in line with, with not overscheduling and having things that could have just been emails instead of meetings. So I try not to do more than more than three. Um, and really, I, I've gotten very good at, at delegating. Uh, up until recently, I would, I would still manage the revenue for, for the company. It's such an incredibly important uh, role in the company. So I'd spend part of my day-to-day -day doing that. Um, a lot of it is vision. Which market are we going to go into? What type of product? Uh, what hires do we have to make? Um, culture. Uh, a lot of networking, fundraising. So really having these high impact actions, it took me um, a little bit of time to say, you know what, owner relations shouldn't really be where I'm spending my time or I shouldn't be checking the maintenance channel on, on, on Slack. Brandy's probably laughing right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and really delegating that and trusting the team uh, that they're going to do a better job than, than I will. Uh, and so I'll finish my day around uh, around five or six. Uh, at least I, I used to. Um, now my schedule's turned upside down. <laughs> so, uh, so starting early, ending early, doing high impact activity, only having two meetings, going on that morning walk, and then if I can, uh, exercising. Um, and exercising can be fun. It doesn't have to be the treadmill. I play group soccer with, uh, with some old friends, but also with, with employees. So just kind of nice. sweating, uh, yeah. that's all you have to do. And that's, that's my day. And I'll, I'll, uh, I occasionally like to work on the weekends. Typically I'll choose Saturday or Sunday, but that's really more of my creative work. So that's me reading, uh, industry white papers, again, listening to podcasts, reading books, um, Googling things, researching new markets, just kind of the, the fun stuff that maybe isn't as impactful in the immediate future, but just things that don't really feel like work. And then I'll take one day just totally entirely off. Yeah, you know, you and I have the same weekend schedule. I can't say we have the same day to day because unfortunately, uh, as much as I love the Colorado mountains, I can't walk outside with a uh, iced cup of coffee <laughs> in the morning. Um, but I do want to say congratulations on your six week old baby. That's incredible. Um, so that's probably a big reason why your new schedule is uh, completely turned upside down. But um, that's a that's a big accomplishment. So yeah, I'm a little bit softer now. It's tough to uh, to do those 4:57 a.m. Uh, wake ups. Now you just kind of sleep when you can. But for anyone who's entrepreneurial, I wouldn't delay having kids. I mean, you you find a way to uh, to make it work. Yeah. I love that. Um, I do have a question because, you know, you're, you're kind of talking about like, you know, starting at 457, um, high impact decision making, less meetings, more vision and kind of like overall optimization of of your, your guys' business. How long did it take you as a founder, especially when you were in that, that early day doing everything yourself, growing a team, trying to figure out the 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 hustle side of things mm -hmm. where you get pulled mm -hmm. in some directions? When did that click and then when did you see the big difference between doing everything and just being everywhere and omnipresent in all parts of the business versus then being more delegated and focused into what your real true like strength is with the, with the company? Great question. 
I hope this doesn't crush anyone's soul, but I did not get quality of life for the first three, three and a half years of, of, of the business. I think there were a couple key decisions I made uh, that I could have made earlier on to maybe shorten that to, to two years. But really, the first, at least the first two years, you should be omnipresent. You should be doing everything. Um, you know, the proudest moment I have to this day in, in company history is uh, changing a hot water heater and not electrocuting myself and sticking my hand underneath that that shower and feeling it go from frigid to lukewarm to to piping hot uh that was right before right before a check-in just i couldn't afford to to hire someone uh so i had to watch a youtube tutorial and uh that those are kind of the 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 moments that show you all right not only um can you be adaptable and overcome any challenge, uh, but you also know who to hire, uh, what it takes to, to do the job. So for better or for worse, you know, the first couple of years, you should be the maintenance worker, the accountant, uh, the customer service rep, uh, do everything. And, and then it's, it's going to, to pay itself back in, in spades in, in the future. Um, but going back to the two critical decisions I made, the first was, outsourcing as much as we could to the Philippines. And when you look at the way COVID has changed the world, we finally come to accept that we can work anywhere in the world and we can work remotely. Mm -hmm. And why couldn't that computer uh, be outside of New York and San Francisco? Why couldn't it be halfway around the world in Manila or in Moscow? Uh, And so our approach has been to hire globally and access a much deeper talent uh, talent pool and simultaneously take advantage of, of a labor arbitrage. So when I finally got to get rid of my second phone, I had my personal phone and then the work phone, and I didn't have to take calls from people at 10 o'clock calling in from California yeah. uh, or, or even midnight sometimes, um, that, that was, that was a huge, huge win for me. So think about everything that can be done behind a computer. It's really, uh, every single position other than maintenance, housekeeping, and valet. Yeah. Uh, when we go to hire someone, we're, we're asking ourselves, could this be done in the Philippines? So your marketing, your distribution, your customer service, all of that AR, AP, it can be done, uh, anywhere in the world. So that, that was one critical decision. And then the second, I would say, was moving out of storage units and getting our warehouse office space, uh, which acts as our hub. So we have- What about the the, wa- the warfist? The, the wa- warfist, yeah, that's what Brandy calls it. Uh, <laughs> and so we've got 20,000 square feet in Miami, but even just having two or 3,000 square feet, places for you know all of your maintenance, your furniture, uh, all of your OS&E, your-, your internal housekeeping team, the linen, all of that. Um, and then carving out, you know, a few uh, space for a few desks. That's, that's all, that's all you really need. So I'd say those were two critical decisions that really accelerated it. And just having the, making the decision that instead of going a mile wide, we're going to go a mile deep and having the unit economics and the density, um, that allowed us to be able to afford that, that warehouse space. So, uh, those, those, if I had done those two things earlier, I think two years uh, is enough to struggle 
but <laughs> embrace the struggle. It builds, it, it, it's cheesy to, to say it builds character, but it, it makes you tough. And then when you face adversity, uh, it's, it's not, doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal anymore. For sure. And I think, yeah, like one of the things that we did for us internally is more of a, how do we have a yes mentality? It's not, um, Oh, the, we can't do that. It's too hard. It's too complicated. Um, I think we learned through like, especially COVID, uh, was that like, we just, okay. The answer, like not the, the answer is yes. How are we going to do it? It's more of like, we're not going to have that negative mindset on, okay, this is complicated. We don't understand. We don't know where to find the resource or the tool or whatever it may be. Um, it's like saying we're having that yes attitude, but without saying that the cheesy, like it's always yes. Like, cause sometimes like, <laughs> hard knows, like sometimes you have to evaluate like, is it valued this decision worth like trying to keep going or is it just something that is not worth uh, continuing on? Um, but I want to ask for going to the Philippines, how do you manage quality control when it's like totally different time zones? You're waking up and they're going to bed or vice versa. Um, not you particularly, but anyone else in your team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also what, what does that do with you uh, tax wise? Like how does that like affect the company when it comes to like paying overseas um, I'm just kind of curious because that's one thing we've never really explored. We've always thought about like we have to keep it U.S. so it keeps everything clean. I don't know if that's uh, a certain thing that you guys went through as well, but I'm just kind of curious. Running a short-term rental business is challenging and time-consuming. Whether it's 10 units or 1,000 units, trying to keep up with the latest trends, technology, hardware, revenue management, guest support, and R&D, it's become almost impossible and increasingly more expensive for the everyday host. On top of that, all of this tedious work does not allow you to focus on what matters most, and that is your guest. Luckily, this will no longer be a problem. Introducing Journey's MOS, the newest and most advanced tech solution in hospitality. Journey's MOS provides you with a one-stop solution that will automate your entire operation and take care of all of your back office work, allowing you to fully focus on growing your business the way you want to. To learn more about MOS, visit Journey online at journey.com. That's journey, J-U-R-N-Y.com. Yeah, the tax implications actually weren't that difficult uh, for for us. The harder thing was was actually getting getting insurance, but we were able to to get that. Um, to get all those benefits, uh, that took us a little bit of time to to navigate, but that was certainly the the harder of the two. Um, I would say, really, what what kind of differentiates us is we're paying above market, yeah. and to us that could just be a dollar or two, whereas in the U.S., above market might be ten to twenty thousand yeah. uh, dollars. So it's it's very uh, it's very different when you're able to to pay a little bit more because you're going to attract the best talent. You're going to retain people and then everything becomes referral based. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And we've even outsourced every single component of our HR, except for our, our director of HR uh, to the Philippines. So again, it's, it's almost like having, uh, having a second company there where everything is, is referral. HR is, you have people in the Philippines vetting hires in the Philippines and doing all the interviews. So there isn't, there isn't that much of a disconnect. Uh, they, they've even done a great job of building culture. We had our, our virtual Christmas party uh, in, in the Philippines a few days ago, and I had as much fun uh, on that call as I did for our, our Miami uh, Christmas party. So just incredibly hungry people. And when you give the opportunity for upward mobility, that, that is incredibly important. That exists in the U.S. and in the Philippines, but particularly in the Philippines where you can start making $5 an hour and have clear individual KPIs to finish the year earning $15 an hour. You're talking about tripling someone's salary. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually uh, where we want to be next year is be able to start uh, start getting um, H-1B visas for, for our most talented workers and bringing them over to the U.S., paying a U.S. salary. Uh, and and that's where we see that that department heading. That's awesome. That's so cool to to to, to speak out loud just to like hear it. Like, cause we, I haven't heard many successful people or companies go to the Philippines and and have that uh, ability to create like a, a a great culture and to have um, everything as if it were basically in the U.S. Um, so that's super awesome to hear. Um, now I'm I want to go back into your guys's growth. And the, to the markets that you guys are in, um, you know, getting into this uh, side of you're in two different markets, you have two different uh, attractions for these destinations. Um, how do you guys manage that with a, with a, I guess, a marketing perspective and just an operation perspective? Because you got so many different events and things that happen in each area that kind of fluctuate on, you know, rates and revenue and occupancy and you know all the fun stuff that we get to geek out about. Um, but then I know you guys also have raised uh, a little bit of money. So obviously that's probably helped with the growth strategy and all that. So I guess maybe more or less, I'm just asking your mindset and what's going on in the, on the back end of all of this growth. Sure. Well, it is much easier to be in two markets than, than, than 25. Uh, you have density, you yeah. can take teams in house. So if we were in a lot of different markets and had five properties instead of 250 in each city, we wouldn't be able to afford a city manager and a head of maintenance and a head of housekeeping. We wouldn't have quality control. There'd be absolutely no upward mobility. We would be contracting out housekeeping and whether that housekeeper did a great job or a bad job, um, they would be paid the same. There'd be no recognition. There'd be a lot of churn uh, and they wouldn't understand, you know, the mission or, or the vision of the company. So I think, it looks great on a VC pitch deck to have a ton of pins in the map. But for us, it was always very clear uh, that we wanted to build these, these markets out to achieve profitability and then replicate uh, those, those, those markets in, in a few other uh, high ADR leisure, leisure markets. Um, so operationally it's, it's been, I don't want to say it's been easy because it's, it's been, iterative, you know, you find one thing that that kind of works and then you improve on it, but it's been far easier than if we had spread ourselves, ourselves then. Mm, I agree. Uh, I, now I want to know, cause I saw the amazing, 
uh, iPad check-in virtual concierge um, when you guys officially launched that. I think I saw it on uh, LinkedIn first and then saw it on Instagram all over the place and stuff. Uh, what, what was the idea behind that? How did you guys come up with, hey, you know, I, I'm assuming it's probably COVID related, but, um, you know, you're actually, I think the only and first company I've seen in the vacation rental, short-term rental space. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really go into this tech focused of the check-in experience and this like, yeah, everyone's got smart locks nowadays. Um, but you guys like went a whole new level. Um, and it kind of reminds me of Chick-fil-A, like, you know, you pull up to a Chick-fil-A sometimes and they got an iPad and there's someone yep. at home just like, so yeah, tell me the, tell me the idea. That's, that's where the industry is, is heading. And I would be shocked if no one else adopts it uh, a year from now. Mm. So when you think about the traditional front desk experience, you have people who are there giving restaurant suggestions, telling you where the amenities are, how long they're open. Maybe they're emailing you uh, a room receipt, uh, whatever it is, it's all done behind a computer. The only thing that's physical is the action of making the room key and handing it to the guest. And we, we never thought that room keys made sense. They get demagnetized, people lose them. It's not, you know, very environmental. Uh, and no one is ever going to forget the last four digits of, of their cell phone. Doesn't matter if they've been drinking on Bourbon Street all day, you're not going to, you're not going to mess it up. Yeah. Uh, we didn't like the idea of having the room key on your phone. It kind of seemed gimmicky and again as soon as your phone dies you're 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 locked out um so we we thought all right we don't have any hotel keys um and let's figure out a way where again going back to that labor arbitrage we can pay a little bit more money than the market hire someone who's fluent in english and exclusively works in that market so you can go into any of our buildings and we'll have the virtual concierge there. Uh, they can tell you the best Italian restaurant in town. They can extend your stay. They can put in a maintenance ticket. They can do every single thing that a front desk agent can do. And so it comes back to what I said earlier is if you're working behind a computer, why does that computer have to be behind the front desk? Why can't it be anywhere? Uh, and they can actually also open doors. So they can roll forward, roll backward, go side to side. And so we've we figured out that if we can put those motion sensors that unlock the door, we can actually roll forward to the door and then unlock it if we see a guest is, is having trouble getting into the property. So lots of lots of cool things where we're working on uh, making a 3D printed tray. So now we can put, you know, champagne on the tray or eucalyptus towels, whatever it is, and having having uh, that that face-to-face -face interaction in real time, but doing it in a way that's that's more sustainable. Uh, and because it's it's a lower salary, we're able to have 24-7 customer service. And they can actually work two buildings at the same time. So if you take an $8 wage, it's actually $4 per hour per building. Compare that to the $50,000 annual salary of a front desk agent. And all of a sudden, this becomes a lot more scalable than uh, than what traditional hotels have. Wow, I wish it was a $50,000 salary for a front desk agent when I was doing that for Marriott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with inflation, things are a little bit different and and uh, it's it's difficult to, to hire in hospitality. I think for most people, uh, we haven't really had that problem because we're, we're just 
so reliant on on referrals but yeah it's probably up there maybe even more in miami yeah for sure and i was gonna say do you think that helps with your guys' retention being able that someone can work from home easily being in miami or new orleans and not have to have to commute not have to worry about all the other things that go into driving to work and being on property and running around and doing all the stuff like i'm just kind of has that helped a lot with you guys yeah, I, I don't know how quickly we're going to go back into the office. I think our mindset is a happy employee is a productive employee. So if someone is able to do their job from home, uh, then then that's great. We There is importance of having human uh, interaction face-to-face, but sure. we don't think that interaction happens in the office as much. That should be happening during happy hours and team outings and holiday parties and 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 all these these fun activities it doesn't happen when you're kind of overhearing a conversation or listening to someone someone pound away on their on their keyboard we want to say all right let's take that like 8 hours that you would have or 10 hours you would have in the office and let's condense that into like a 1 hour happy hour and then we can we can bond that way cuz a lot of people i mean just being able to see my my son every day, uh, see him have his first smile. Uh, my relationship with my dog has gotten better, uh, and my wife really likes having me at home. And I think I think that's that's the mindset that we have is we take care of our employees first, they take care of the guests, and then that generates to the the returns for investors and and landlords. So that's always been our mindset. Hmm, I love that. I love that. And you, since you just mentioned investors, let's talk about raising capital for something like this. I'm, I'm very, uh, we have a lot of conversations. Michael Golden, you know, is very much involved and active with uh, talking about capital raises and funding and stuff like that. Um, but for me, this is a, a very new side of things for entrepreneurship. I, I'm very much, hey, we got cash flow. That's, that's our money. Um, yeah. So yeah. for you, what, what, what does it look like uh, to go out and raise capital for something like this, especially being, you know, very tech focused, very future and in, innovative focused when it comes to changing the way that we've operated, not just because of COVID, but just because I think even if COVID never happened, um, if you guys did what you're doing now, it was, it would have a huge ripple effect across the industry, uh, no matter what. So um, what does that look like when it comes to getting the investment and going after um, you know, we've seen a lot of, uh, SPACs, we've seen a lot of investment mm-hmm. into the industry. So what's, uh, what's that look like on the back end for you? It's a slog to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> uh, I think there was the first fundamental shift happened with, with WeWork and people kind of started to question, okay, should we be, should, should valuation be based off of revenue? Or should it be based off of EBITDA? And what does it mean to be a software company versus a tech-enabled company? Yeah. Uh, and you saw the public markets categorically reject and really almost kill WeWork. And that was really kind of the the first uh, chink in the armor. And then COVID uh, really, really changed things. And people said, okay, master leases are too asset heavy. We want asset light, liability light, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and there have not been a ton of wins. I mean, if you look at Vacasa, last I checked, 
they opened at around $11. Now I think they're below seven. Um, and that's a company that I do believe in long-term. Uh, they're pretty close to, to being EBITDA positive, but cash burning prop tech unicorns are very 2019. Now I think it's more about being light, having a, a, a clear path to, to profitability and uh, that was just my personal experience going out and and fundraising earlier this year. And uh, successful fundraise? Yes, yeah, very, very successful. Um, we'll be oversubscribed. We have a signed term sheet. So uh, we should be closing uh, next next week. And when that happens, we'll we'll release details. But it's a it's a big series A um, and uh, with a with a great strategic uh, lead. So um, it was. It was it was a process, uh, and we had a great story to sell. I mean, yeah. we will finish this year EBITDA positive, and we grew revenue three hundred percent from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, and then again from twenty twenty to twenty twenty one. So, but even with with a great story, there there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of hesitation, especially with new variants coming out. You yeah. know, COVID is not a six month thing. It's unfortunately closer to, I don't know who's to say difficult to prognosticate, but three year thing, six year thing. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully 2020, 2022 is the end of COVID. I'm tired of hearing it and talking about it, but I know not to get too political, but it'll end when we decide we want it to end, but exactly. who knows when, when that will happen. Yeah. I feel you. Um, well, dude, that's super awesome and exciting to hear about, um, your guys is, you know, just the, I think the growth it's, it's a, it's an inspiring story. Cause like you are right. You do guys, you guys do have a good story to sell. Uh, not only the investors, but I think when you have you know, B2B marketing with other companies, like we're, I have a small, very small management company where we only have about eight active properties where the, looking at a company like Sextant is like, okay, this is an ideal place that we want to go. And not that we can't do our own things and get creative with our own brand and all this other stuff. Um, but it does kind of inspire that, that next idea, that next phase of growth for a lot of people in the industry. And I think the guests on the other side of things are really enjoying this new platform of travel and experience and the ability to, you know, just ex, ex, that, that new expectation, right? They're not, um, eventually there's going to be that day that I was like, Oh, there's no front desk. Like that, that's not going to happen anymore. It's going to be like, Oh, you have a front desk. Like <laughs> so it's going to shift. And I think it's just really cool and inspiring to watch your guys' story. Um, I know I felt that way when we first met uh, when COVID started and I still feel that way uh, getting to talk to you now and especially getting to meet a lot of your team actually at the VRMA conference in, in San Antonio. Um, so yeah, it's just really exciting. And uh, I, I can't wait to, to continue to watch what you guys continue to do. And for the listeners, uh, when he's talking about his capital raise and all this other stuff, we are recording in December. Um, so if you don't hear it uh, until January or so, this has already been announced. So uh, really congrats and an exciting time for you guys. Thanks. Yeah, we've we've got big plans. Yeah, I'm pumped. And if uh, anyone's listening, you can watch us live on 
Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all the stuff. And there's actually a promo code we'll put in the show notes. Uh, but if you want to stay and experience this uh, virtual concierge and uh, sextant uh, property, you can actually use Slick Talk 15 uh, valid through December of 2022. So very exciting. Uh, I definitely personally will be using it. Uh, so I'm excited. And uh, is there any place that you want to send any of the listeners uh, to right now, whether it's uh, the website, LinkedIn, whatever, uh, you have the choice of of sending them anywhere you want. Sure. Yeah. Feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I love mentoring people. I love helping people solve problems. I'm happy to get on a quick 15 minute call and just kind of talk through the challenges that that people might have. So uh, don't hesitate to to add me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Awesome. Well, we'll put everything in the show notes. And I know we had a couple other topics that we can definitely dive into probably in a part two uh, going into, uh, you know, obviously the growth in the space and investments and all the other stuff. But it's really just cool to hear your story. And I know we kind of got to geek out through throughout that process. But I just want to say thank you for being on the podcast today. And uh, I know we'll definitely not be the last time that we get to chat. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. Smart locks, smart thermostats, automation, and a solution for any hotel and vacation rental company. Our show partners at Operto are the leading solution for operators to enhance their operations by integrating with your property management software and making sure that all your smart devices create a contactless guest experience while streamlining your operations. So don't forget to check them out on their website, send me a message, or just let them know that we'll send you and you are in good hands. So get ready to enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast and check out operto.com or go to the podcast website and see our partners page. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast.